There's rare times in my life that I feel like before I preach a message that I need to give a disclaimer. Now, there's also a promise in the Bible that his word will not return back void, meaning the word of God is more powerful than any speaker, no matter how bad he is, that it will impact people's hearts. But there's a really good chance today that today's message will make zero sense. My wife has been gone for seven days, and I'm about to be on the beach. So I'm in missing my wife mode, and I'm picturing me in a Speedo on the beach. And as I'm looking at my notes today, I don't hardly remember to put any of this in here. I'm like, oh, I didn't know I was talking about that today. But we're going to talk about it, and we're going to get through it. And if it doesn't make sense, I'll make it up to you in the future, and we'll be all good. How about that? Sound good? Awesome, awesome, awesome. I hold in my hand, very simply... What is the most powerful book ever written? It's the Word of God. Every jot and tittle of it is God-inspired. It is the roadmap to living the life that God would have us to live. No matter what question you have, the answer is in this book. Somebody say amen. Amen. Now here's the deal about those statements I just made. Every church meeting today in our community would agree with that. It wouldn't matter if it was a big church or a small church, a Baptist church, a Methodist church, a traditional church, a contemporary church, a black church, a white church, whatever it is. And how sad that we have black churches and white churches. That's another little roadblock we'll get on in a minute. Well, we won't get on that today. We'll get on it one day. But every church would not agree with this next statement. Not only is this the most powerful book, Really, it's the craziest book. I mean, you can't read this book and not think, man, this is a crazy, insane book. It's so contrary to what we consider normal. What society teaches us and what we have bought into because it's the norm is so many times contradicted with this book. I mean, think about it. This book says, hey, if someone slaps you across the cheek, turn the other cheek. That goes against everything in us. This book says, hey, pray for your enemies, contrary to what the world says. This book says, hey, it's better to give than it is to receive. This book says, hey, Forgive those who hurt you. Now, in this crowd, that's a hard thing. Because here's what they say about the people in the seats. They tell you that you will draw people who are like the people on the stage. And my name is Gary Lamb, and I'll go toe-to-toe with you all day on holding a grudge. I can tell you who wronged me 17 years ago, what time of day it was, where I was, and what they were wearing when they did it. Man, I can hold a grudge with the best of them. And because I am somewhat close with many of you in this church, I know you're extremely good at holding a grudge yourself. But this book says, forgive those that hurt you. This book is crazy, and it calls us by the world's standards, to live a crazy life. The life that is explained in this book that God desires for us and God wants us to live, it can't be classified as anything but crazy because crazy is the opposite of normal and what's normal today is simply not working. We live in a day and time where we accept and we want to fit in and we all just want to be normal. But normal's not working. I hear people tell me, I just want a normal life. But normal's not working. What society calls normal so many times is less than what God intends for it to be. If you missed last week, let me kind of review to you. We're talking about this crazy life because normal life isn't working. 
And we looked last week at the teachings of Jesus where he showed us very clearly that in life there's two different roads that we can go down. There's one road that is broad and it's easy to follow and that's what the crowd follows. Dare I say that's the normal road. And then he says there's another road. It's a more difficult road. And look what he says in the Bible. He says, enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. Many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that, re- that leads to life. And only few will find it. We live in a day and time where only few will live the life that God created for them. And make no mistake about it today, we serve a God who created you and had a plan for you. I say this all the time, and every time I say it, I get an email or a private message or a text message that it offends somebody, so let me say it again. You might have been a surprise in the backseat of mommy and daddy's car, but you did not catch God by surprise. He formed you, and he shaped you, and he created you. He told Jeremiah in the Old Testament, he said, I knew you in your mother's womb. I set you apart, and God looks at you and says, I created you, I formed you, I made you in my image, and I had plans for you and vision for you and desires for you, and I have a life that is so much better than anything that you could ever want to live. But the problem is we don't choose the crazy life. We choose the normal life, the safe life. (laughs) There's a road, a narrow road. The Bible says the good news is the the narrow road's there, but only few chose it. But when you choose it, it leads to life. We live our life going through the motions. We live this amazing gift that there's ever one thing that I feel like I've had a good grasp of. I've always had a good grasp of I have one shot at this life. I have made some royal screw-ups in my life. And everybody used to always get upset about those mess-ups after those mess-ups. They'd be like, I feel like he just kept on living. Yeah. Because I got one shot at it, baby. And those mess-ups along the way suck, and they bring heartache, and I wish I could change them, but I refuse to allow them to define me. It's okay to fall down, get back up. Fall down 10 times, get back up 11. Because you got one shot at life. And so many of us are living our life and we're wasting our life. When God says, I have something so much better for you. But we got to change our mindset. We got to quit striving for normal. I just wish my kids were normal. I just wish I had a normal job. I don't ask for a lot. I just wish I had a normal marriage. But normal's not working. What we call normal is flawed, and I'll get to that in a minute. But here's kind of the premise of my couple of messages that I've been teaching in this series. If you want what normal people have, do what normal people do. And that's what most of us do. And most of us, We think, man, that sounds awesome. Gary, I've been living a crazy life, and it's not working. No, no, no. You think you've been living a crazy life. Really, what you've been living is a normal life. A life of dysfunction, a life of being broke, a life of bad relationship. That is normal in our society. But if you want what few people have, do what few people do. Quit trying to be normal. I was talking to a guy the other day, and this guy's like, yeah, I just, I can't do normal. Okay. He said, yeah, I like, used to get a little wild. I like to go out and drink and party and have a good time. And he said, man, I, I got a different girl every weekend. And he said, but then he said, yeah, that's just kind of how me and the people I roll with are. I said, so everybody you roll with is like you. Yeah. I said, so what's different about you then? You're just normal. What? I said, if you're doing what everybody else is doing, you're normal. I said, so let me ask you a question. I said, how are you financially? Oh, you know, I mean, I work hard. It's a struggle, though, man. Paycheck to paycheck. I said, oh, you live normal. What? I said, how's your relationship? Oh, it's horrible. 
I, I, we don't get along. I said, oh, I said, so you live normal. I said, how's your job? I hate my job, but man, I, I go to it. I said, oh, so you live normal. You pride yourself on being a rebel, but you're just normal. He was all perplexed and looking at me crazy. And literally, in the middle of the conversation, man, you have a good day. I walked away. So many people think they're rebels, outlaws, and renegades. and They're just followers. You're just normal. When you're doing what everyone else is doing, that's normal. God says, I got, I got a small way for you. It's a thin way for you. I've got this, this way for you to go. I, I've got this narrow way. But few will do it. And few will experience the life that God has for them. Because we're so focused on being normal instead of being crazy. Can I get a little participation this morning? I know it's a white church and it's hard for white people to participate. I can't believe I'm about to ask this question. This ain't part of the participation. But how many of you saw at least a clip of the royal wedding yesterday? How many of you saw that preacher at the royal wedding? Now, just to keep my man card, here's what I want you to know, James Hatfield. I didn't get up to watch the royal wedding because I'm a man. And I ain't getting up that early for nothing. Well, some things, but that wouldn't happen yesterday morning. But I saw everybody posting about the preacher at the royal wedding. So I had to find YouTube and I watched it. Well, he was preaching. But he learned something yesterday. He learned he was in Chicago. He learned he was preaching to a bunch of white folks. And they looked scared to death. And I had to give him props because he didn't care. They were sitting. He just shucking the corn. <laughs> Man. So I know i got a bunch of white folks up in here, but I want some participation. How many of you would agree, not your standard, because you'll be acting all spiritual, no, that's not me, but I'm talking about society standards, that when it comes to finances, normal in our society is living paycheck to paycheck, being broke, and being in debt. That's the norm in our society. You'd agree with that? That's normal. How many of you would say, in our society, I'm not talking about you individually because I know you're all spiritual and you got it better than everybody else, and if you didn't have it better than anybody else, you'd fake it anyway in church. But you'd say society standards, when it comes to relationships, that normal is being miserable in divorce. Society, the people you know, your coworkers, your friends, not saying you because, again, I know you guys got it all together. But normal is a dysfunctional relationship. And those that decide to stay in a relationship, stay in that relationship not because they're happy, not because they love their spouse, but they do it for the kids. Or they do it because, I can't afford to get divorced. You know. Relationships are broken nowadays. <laughs> Man. Normal today is living a life of regret. A life of guilt, all sorts of fears. Normal in our society is just trying to make rent every month. Maybe you get to get a bigger house. Maybe one day if we try really hard, we'll get a vacation. Maybe if we try, we can keep the kids out of jail. If we're lucky and we live a normal life and we pay our dues and we work our job at 65 or 70 or 75, we'll get to retire and go garden or play golf for the last two years of our life. That's normal. Normal is going to a job you hate, living with someone that you can't stand, to make money that won't pay the bills you have because you bought all this stuff to impress people that you don't even know. Now, how many of you say, I believe that God has something better for me awesome here's the problem few of you will ever experience it how's that for encouragement today 
But it's not God's fault. It's not my fault. It's your fault. Because you're content being normal. You're content fitting in. You're content being like everyone else. You've got a definition of crazy, but it's a bad crazy. And so your bad crazy is so bad, you just want to be normal. But normal is less than what God wants for you. When God says, I got a good crazy for you, I got a God crazy for you, I got a life of purpose and a life of fulfillment and a life of vision and a life of healthy relationships and a life of you making an impact and a life of vision and a life of mission, but you're missing out on it. God wants you to live a life that blows your socks off. (coughs) If you want what normal people have, Do what normal people do. Now, here's what I know when I preach a message like this. 90% are going to amen because it sounds good. 2% are actually going to do it. And I'm okay with that. Because if I can make an impact on those 2% to live the life that God created them for, it is worth everything we do around here. Because here's the deal. I can't coax you. I can't beg you. I can't drag you into living the life that God has for you. You've got to decide I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired. That normal is not good enough anymore. I want what God has for me. I want the best. I want a life of vision and mission. I want a life where I'm not chasing the dollar, but I'm doing what I was called to do. Now, I'm very blessed in life. I, in this particular area had phenomenal parents. My parents very much instilled in us to live a life of being crazy. It gave me a foundation for my life. I lived with with my dad. My dad was very, very successful in the business world and was miserable. And my whole life, I remember him telling me, do what you love. I, I, I remember exactly, word for word, what he said, Do what you love. Don't worry about the money. And then the saddest thing he'd ever say, it's too late for me, but not for you. It's too late for him. He already had the huge house payment and the car payments and the credit card debt. He couldn't just walk away from his family and follow all the things he wanted to do. And it always stuck in my mind. And I had had a dad that always instilled in me, try new things and do things. and, and, And being kind of the crazy kid, was kind of what I did in life. My dad very much encouraged us to try all kinds of new things. My dad was a phenomenal baseball player. I was sharing this with some of you. He was drafted by the Kansas City Royals, made it to double-A baseball, and never once, ever, did my dad try to get us to play baseball. I did. Sucked at it. And he never asked me to play again. He could have cared less. He didn't care. He had a dad who cared. It was crazy to him, and he said, I'm not going to be like that. My parents enrolled us in all kinds of things because they wanted us to experience everything. You're going to laugh at this, but when I was about eight years old, my dad said, guess what you're doing this year? I said, what? He said, you're taking ballet classes. I said, what? He said, I want you to experience everything in life. Guess what he did the next year? He said, guess what you're doing? I said, what's that? He said, well, you're about the most drama-ridden kid I've ever seen, so you're taking drama and acting classes. They always let me do what I want to do, so I also play football. I can remember in high school, going to a football game, playing high school, my high school football game, literally the minute we walked off the field, my dad said, get in the car, we got to go. And I had to go to the Fox Theater because I had a starring role in a play at the Fox Theater. Now, here's the deal. Kids didn't understand that. It was crazy. I got a job at Dairy Queen when I was 15 years old. I remember coming home and saying, man, that's a lot of work for a small paycheck. But they said, it sure is. You know what I'd do if I was you? He said, what? He said, I'd go start my own business. I said, what? He said, what are you into? I don't know. He said, really? Because you spend every little penny you make on baseball cards and comic books, you got a whole room full of them. He goes, you look at them once and you put them in a box. He goes, why don't you sell them? How would I do that? He said, I don't know, you idiot. There's a big old huge flea market right down the road. Why don't you open a store inside that flea market on the weekends? Okay. So I opened up a store inside the flea market. Four weeks after I was there, the flea market closed down. And my dad said, this didn't work. He said, what do you mean it didn't work? How much money did you make? In four weeks, I'd made $8,500. At 15, that's a lot of money. He said, now, he goes, here's what you want to do with that $8,500. You want to go buy a car, don't you? Yeah. He said, you're not going to buy a car. He goes, I would encourage, he never told me what to do. He said, I would encourage you not to go buy a car. Why? He said, because you can turn that $8,500 into $40,000. I said, how? He goes, see that new strip mall, that, or strip shopping center they just opened? He goes, why don't you go run a store in there? 
I went and ran a store, 15 years old. Had to sell myself on the owner, convince him of 15. My dad wouldn't sign on it. It was $8,500. I can remember it like it was just estimate, $6,000 of it. And over the next two and a half years of my high school thing, listen to me, I made $100,000. That's more than Dairy Queen paid. But people thought I was crazy. My friends used to make fun of me. You can't go out on the weekend. I said, no, I've got a store to run. You can't go out and do this. No, I've got a store to run. Man, you don't ever have no fun. Store closed at 5 o'clock. I have fun. The difference is i got money. I don't got to go to mommy and daddy to get money. You go to drama classes? Yeah. You do all kinds of stuff. Now, I'm not saying that, but I'm saying what it did in my life was it instilled in my life. Who cares what normal people think? Normal people are miserable. My friends work 40 hours at Taco Bell and come home with $212. I was literally bringing home twelve dollars to $1,300 a week at 15, 16, 17 years old. I'll take crazy because normal's not working. I recently, I say recently, it was about two years ago, had a place that wanted to hire me. It was a substantial amount of money. And I said, I'm not interested because I've never worked a job in my life. Just being honest with you. I mean, I've never worked for somebody else my entire life. And they said, well, can you at least put a resume together I've never had a resume in my life. So I put online, I found a Google template and put it together. He said, these are not job skills. I said, well, that's funny because they paid all my bills for 20-something years. He said, remember, he said, this is just crazy. I said, you called me. Oh, yeah. Living the life God created you for. My wife comes from a family. Her grandfather is very successful in life. Probably one of the sharpest business minds of anyone I've ever met in my life. But her grandfather is a very conservative guy when it comes to careers. He's worked in the same job forever. And he has made a lot of money. He has been very successful. He retired with the gold watch and the airplane ride and all the stuff that goes along with corporate America. So I started barbecuing and brews at 40 two years ago. And he's like, what are you doing? You're 40. And I was like, well, yeah, I'm 40. Don't you think you ought to know what you want to do with your life? Well, I said, well, I'm hoping to live to about 80, so I got 40 more years. I didn't know I had to be stuck in something that I decided to do when I was 20. I said, here's what I can promise you. I remember looking him right in the face. I said, your granddaughter will never go hungry. She'll never not have a roof over her head, and I'll never come to you for money. I remember what he said, clear as day. That's why I named this series this. Well, that's crazy. But go do it. We live a life that's considered normal, but normal's not working. Now, here's what I don't want you to hear out of this sermon. I'm not telling you to go quit your job and do what I do, because that's my crazy. I don't know what your crazy is, but I know this, God's got a crazy life for you. God's got a purpose for you. God's got a vision for you. God's waiting for you to step out and take that narrow road where you can experience what he wants you to experience. (laughs) When you step out, it's crazy. And people around you are not going to (laughs) understand. I remember very little things that my dad taught me growing up. My dad was not the type of guy that taught me how to work on cars. He didn't teach me how to build things. My dad was not the type of guy who would come along and teach me how to do a trade. He was an executive person. So he never taught me those things. But he taught me, do whatever you feel called to do and let God worry about the consequences. Live a crazy life. And it's scary sometimes, but it's fulfilling sometimes. And God's looking at you today and saying, are you going to settle for normal when I have crazy for you? I want you to embrace the truth today that it's okay to be crazy. (laughs) Especially when you're being crazy led by the Spirit of God. It's way better to be crazy than it is to be what our society calls normal because normal again is broke. Normal is overwhelmed. Normal is stressed. Normal is paycheck to paycheck. Normal is broken relationships. Normal is living in fear. Normal is chasing a dollar, a job you can't stand, again, to buy things that you don't need to impress people you don't know. Normal, dare I say it, 
based on what our society calls normal, normal's a sin. The Bible says this, there's a way that appears to be right, but in the end, it leads to death. I just want to live a normal life. Why? Normal's broken. Normal's contrary to the Word of God in so many different ways. Normal's bail on your marriage. Normal's getting more debt. Normal's live with anxiety and fear when God says 365, time, 365 times in the Bible, fear not. Forget normal. Let's go after crazy. Normal is where the crowd's going. But I want some of you today to exit that broad path and get on that narrow path. Now here's what's going to happen when you become crazy. Normal people are going to call you crazy. But you won't care. Because you'll look at their normal and say, that's not working. I don't answer to other people, I answer to God. The Bible says this in 1 Peter 1.16. I never had seen this until this week and I was reading something. The Bible says, for it is written... Be holy, because I am holy. God said, be holy. Now, for years, the word holy was a very intimidating word to me. I used to hear preachers get up and say, matter of fact, I had a preacher get up after all my mess one time, and he was very obviously talking about me. And he said, God's worried about your holiness, not your happiness. And we don't care about holiness because we're chasing happiness. And holy was an intimidating word to me because for holy for so long, to me, meant to live the life perfect. It meant to live a life never messing up, to be perfect, to never screw up, to never have a bad thought, to never do anything like that. But as you break down the word, and it does mean to be pure, but it also means to be set apart. It means to be different. God says, I want you to be holy. I want you to be set apart. I want you to be different than what everyone else is doing. We don't follow the crowd. We don't try to be normal. Let's get crazy. <laughs> don't be like the rest of the world. Be different. Now, here's the deal. There's a group of us here that are seriously seeking after God. We're not just Christian in name. We want to honor God with the way we live. And here's what you need to understand. When you follow the teachings of Jesus, he'll take you off the broad way and put you on the narrow way. When you're striving to please God, he'll set you apart to live the life he created you for. I can't tell you the life that you were created for, but you know it. Every one of you know it. It's that desire and that fire and that burning down deep inside of you. Might, it might be nothing but an ember because you've packed so much on top of it. But it's there. And you've run from it forever trying to be normal. And you're wasting the life that God had for you because you won't be holy. You won't be set apart. Huh. Like I said, they're going to they're make fun of you. Family members are not going to understand. Friends are not going to question you. They're going to question you because they want you to stay normal because normal then allows them to continue to be normal and not feel like they've got to chase God. There's some great verses about David in the New Testament where he's living out his passion and refuses to conform. But when he refuses to conform, look what happens to him from the crowd. He says, for zeal for your house consumes me. He said, I am consumed with your house. He's building the temple here. He said, I'm consumed. That was his zeal. That was his calling. That was David's purpose. For zeal for your house consumes me, and the insults of those who insult you fall on me. He said, because I'm consumed with what you've called me to do. As people insult you, they're insulting me. <laughs> God, passion for doing what you've called me has consumed me. I love when you read David in the Psalms, there's a sense of, God, I want to serve you, and I want to serve you alone, and I want to go down that narrow path, because I know you come to this, and I don't care if people understand it, and I don't care what the crowd says, I'm going to do it. <laughs> he said, but man, the insults, God, they're coming at me. Look what he says. He says, when I weep and I fast, 
I must endure scorn. He said, I'm weeping and I'm fasting for what you call me to do, and I'm enduring scorn for it. <laughs> he said, when I put on sackcloth, people make sport of me. I'm doing what you called me to do. I'm being holy. I'm set apart. And yet the crowd doesn't understand it. They're mocking me. And they're beating me up. And they're making fun of me. Why? Because they want them to stay normal. Because normal makes them comfortable. Crazy makes them uncomfortable. Because when you see someone else pursuing what God's called them to do, it identifies in those people that they don't have the testicular fortitude to do it. They want to do it, but they don't have the guts to do it. So instead of rejoicing in you following your dreams, they get bitter and they insult you as you follow your dreams. <laughs> when I weep and I fast, I must endure scorn. When I put on sackcloth, people make sport of me. Those who sit at the gate mock me. I love this part. And I am the song of the drunkards. Here's the deal. If you think you're crazy and no drunk people are making up songs about you, you can take it home another level of crazy. I've had a lot of people call me crazy and insult me. But I ain't heard no songs about me yet, so I know I can push it just a little bit further. He's the guy who wants to exchange needles and he feeds people. I don't know what the song would be, but until they start singing about me, we ain't went crazy enough. I mean, the drunks would get drunk and they'd sing about David. That's crazy. <laughs> but he didn't care. When you leave the broad road and you follow Christ on the narrow road, get ready for it. But also get ready for that peace, that satisfaction, that sense of accomplishment, and that purpose. <laughs> I want you to remember this. Whatever you do in life, Set out to do what God's called you to do and don't get stuck in the bucket. I saw a video this week and I thought it was funny and it reminded me it's what so many of us do we get stuck in the bucket. Here's what I mean by getting stuck in the bucket. Next time you go to the beach, fill a bucket up about halfway with sand. Fill it up three quarters with sand. Put crabs in the little hermit crabs that are all running around. Put about 20 of them in that bucket. Now, here's the funny thing about that bucket. You don't got to put a lid on that bucket to keep the hermit crabs in it. Here's why. Because every time one of those hermit crabs decide I've had enough of being stuck in this bucket, I've had enough of being imprisoned, I've had enough of doing what everyone else does, one of the hermit crabs will try to make an escape. And every time they try to make an escape, guess what happens? One of the other hermit crabs reach up there and grabs them by the butt and pulls them back down. Every single time. For hours and hours, they watched this bucket. I didn't watch hours and hours of the video. And none of the hermit crabs could escape. Because the rest of the hermit crabs kept pointing back into the bucket. And that's what happens to us. We get stuck in the bucket. And we worry about what everyone else thinks about us and what everyone else says about us and what everyone else acts about us and what they're worried about us. And every time we try to escape, we let these normal people pull us back down and keep us from doing what God's called us to do. <laughs> we got to get out of the bucket. Grab, the crab will try to get out of the bucket and every single time one will reach up there and do it. Now I know what you're wondering. You're at wondering, Gary, why do crabs do that? And the answer is very simply this. Nobody knows because crabs can't talk and we can't figure it out. But here's why people do it. Because there's comfort in the crowd. And as long as you're miserable, and as long as you're chasing the dollar, and as long as you're living paycheck to paycheck, and as long as your marriage sucks, it makes them feel better about their marriage. And they're chasing the dollar. And they go to a job they hate. It's okay. Everyone else I know is like that. Men aren't bad about this. I don't want you to think I'm picking on the ladies, but I, I see this all the time with ladies. Men will hold everything in. Women, though, will feed on each other. 
when it comes to how sorry their husbands are. It's almost like a one-up contest. He's so sorry. Girl, you don't know nothing. <laughs> At least he did this, this, and this. You know what my man did? And they just feed on it. And I always wonder myself, I said, does it just make them feel better to know that all their friends are just as miserable as them? I always say, I wonder what would happen if one of them looked at them and said, man, ladies, I'm sorry you deal with that. Man, I love my husband, and he ain't perfect, but man, he does this, and he does this, and he does that. And man, I'm so proud to be his wife. You'd cinch that room up, it'd get so quiet, and here's what they'd do. They'd cut you out of their life. They would. Because they want you to be normal. They'd call you crazy. Let's be crazy. We're growing in our passion for Christ. And there's the broad way, and then there's the narrow way. <laughs> and there's two pressures that we all face. Because here's the deal. This sounds good, and it sounds fun, and it sounds exciting. Yet it's the narrow way for a reason. And the pressures keep us from going down that narrow way. There's the inward pressure that we'll face. The inward pressure you'll face. That's the need to please. At our core, for whatever reason, so many of us are wired to be people pleasers. We have this need to please. We want to make other people happy. I, I don't know what it is, but we want to make other people feel good about themselves even at the detriment to us. We want to lift people up at the detriment. We don't know what boundaries are. So what we do is we make ourselves unhealthy to make sure we can try to make someone else healthy. I see it with addicts all the time. In my own life, probably the biggest obstacle in my life, and you're going to find this surprising because all of you think I'm an a-hole, but the fact of the matter is, is the need to please people. For the longest time, man, I was so worried, this person's going to leave. Oh, God, how do I please them and get them what they want here? Oh, this person's going to do that. How, how do I please them and, and, and get them what I want back? Uh, uh, God's leading me to do something, but, man, it's going to upset this person. It's going to upset that person, you know. What are people going to think if I do this? Who cares? Quit worrying about the inward pressure. Well, what are my friends going to say? I would hope your friends are going to be excited if they're truly your friends. I had a friend recently come to me with an idea. I said, I think it's a stupid idea. They asked. But I said, but if you do it, man, I'm all behind you on it. I said, I'm excited for you. Because here's the deal. God doesn't speak to me of what God's told them to do. Logically, it didn't make sense to me. But I'm sure he looked at my life, and what I do logically doesn't make sense to him. And he set out, and he's doing it, and he's killing it. Aren't you glad he didn't listen to me? I haven't been mad that he's doing it. I'm rooting him on. I'm excited that he gets to do his passion. Are people going to understand, what's my family going to think? Who cares? With all due respect to your family, they don't pay your bills and put your roof over your head. When they're making their poor decisions, do they care what you think? The Bible says this in Psalms 29, 25. Fear of man will prove to be a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is kept safe. <laughs> that word snare literally means a trap. When you're worried about what people think, it's a trap. It grabs hold of you and doesn't let you go. It imprisons you and keeps you from living a life of freedom. Why do we care what people think? That's why they put rings in a bull's nose. Anybody know why they do that? I never knew why they did that. They do it because they can throw a, a rope through it, and through that little ring, they snare the bull. Farmer Gary. And they can pull that big old bad bull anywhere they want to go. Now, some of you that have a spouse that has a nose ring, like one thing, that's good for you. You just <laughs> jerk them. I'm going to try to talk Christine to get them. Christine, you know what you ought to get, baby? <laughs> Fear of man. What's God leading you to do? Someone told me recently, I said, God's leading me to cut cable out of my life and cut this out of my life and cut this out of my life and cut this out of my life where we can keep our finances in a certain way. And they said, but man, everybody thinks we're crazy. I said, who cares? They did the Dave Ramsey. We want to live like no one else, meaning poor. 
where one day we can live like no one else, meaning with money. I said, why do you care? Yeah, but my mom doesn't understand why we're not letting the kids do this, this, and I said, you don't answer to your mom. You're a grown adult. That's hard for us to understand sometimes. <laughs> I had a lady come to me recently, and in passing, she said, you know, I go to a church, and I just... This seems kind of odd to me, but this is what God was speaking to her about. She said, I just feel God's leading me just to dress more modestly. I said, well, dress more modestly. She said, I feel like the church I go to is just a fashion contest. Who can show their fake boobs and who can have the shortest skirt and who can do this and who can do that? And she goes, I just want to dress more modestly. I want to teach girls that their bodies don't have to be objects. I said, then do it. She said, but what's people going to think? Who cares? Like, why do we care? We make fun of our kids. <laughs> That's a good parenting. We make fun of our kids. But we do. We make fun of our kids for giving in to peer pressure. And we live our life as adults with peer pressure. <laughs> Someone told me recently, they said, I, I, we feel God's calling us to be a foster parent. I looked at them and said, you have six kids. And they said, so? Yeah, so. I said, man, God bless you. And as they walked away, I said, thank you, Jesus, that you didn't call me to be crazy like that. I'll take my crazy any day. I can promise you this today. So many of you are not doing what God's called you to do because you're afraid of what people are going to think of you. Don't forget this. This is good stuff. If you're taking notes, you ought to write this down. Becoming obsessed with what people think about you. <laughs> Becoming obsessed with what people think about you is the quickest way to forget what God thinks about you. That's good preaching if a white boy is doing it right there. I should have had that on the screen. I'm going to say it again. Becoming obsessed with what people think of you is the quickest way to forget what God thinks of you. Parents, the best thing you can teach your kids is not to be normal. Not to worry about what everyone else does. Our Emily, she's five, uh, five years old. She's fifth grade going to sixth grade. It's a pivotal transition in life. And she's so obsessed with fitting in and what everyone else thinks and this and that to the point that she'll lie to her friends about the stuff she's doing because she thinks it's cool because they're doing it. And we've been dealing with her and talking with her, and I tell her all the time, screw being normal. That's Gary Lamb Parenting 101. And so now what I do when I pray with her is I pray for her not to be normal. I pray that she's crazy. I, I think we do our kids a disservice when we like, just, just fit in. Or we pray for our kids to be safe. I don't ever pray for my kids to be safe. I pray for them to be crazy. I want them to set the world on fire with what God's called them to do. <laughs> Greg Gunney, I was reading a book by him this week, and he says this, he teaches this principle. He says that whatever fam wherever family identity is strong, meaning whatever area of your life that your family's strong, peer pressure is going to be weak. But wherever family identity is weak, peer pressure is going to be strong. When you instill in your kids not to worry about being normal and to be crazy, it gets instilled in their head. They see that's how you live. They don't worry about the peer pressure. We instill in our kids that we don't do what normal people do on Sundays. We're in the house of God. We instill in our kids that we build our life around the principles of God. We instill in our kids, this is going to, I instill in my kids all the time. They're 6, 11, 13, and 16. And you know what I instill in them all the time? I'm not impressed with whether or not you go to college. I tell them all the time, don't go to college unless you want to do something in life that requires college. My son's like, I, I want to go do my own business one day. I'm going to go to college. I said, why? I said, why are you going to go $150,000, $200,000 in debt to learn how to start a business? Get online. Follow all these people. I can show you how to start a business. All these people are graduating college with $200,000 in debt and taking $40,000 a year jobs. It's stupid. Oh, that's a, that's a soapbox for me. I better get off of it. But it's funny, my ex-wife, man, she is fired up when I tell them not to go to college. And I don't care. 
I'm not teaching my kids to be normal. I want to be crazy. So many of us won't do it because of the inward pressure. A lot of us, though, we won't do it because of the outward pressure. And that's criticism. We're so consumed with what other people think. It's feeling that pressure from the outside. We don't want anybody to criticize us. Here's how I've learned to deal with criticism. And I, and I think it's safe to say, I don't mean this in an arrogant, cocky way. I'm 42 years old. And I feel it's safe to say, in the last 20 years, there's probably not a person in this room who has dealt with more public criticism than I have. I've been on the front page of papers in Iowa and here. I've been on national news. I can't even go into most restaurants. Still, to this day, that's what you know that is. Show up at the ball field this year. I hear people talking, that's the guy on the news with the needle. I look over and say, well, man, man, if I gave you clean needles, you'd have more than four teeth. That's what I want to say to the guy, but I didn't. I didn't say it, James. You've been proud of me. But I've learned over the years. I used to, boy, I used to obsess over critics. I mean obsess over critics. Now I don't care. And I live that out. You see it. You guys get all upset over me being criticized. Y'all are on there fighting with everybody, raising hell with everyone, arguing with family members, cussing people out. And you're like, where are you at? Why aren't you? I'm like, I don't care. Did you see what's? No. I don't care. Let them criticize. John 15, the world hates you. Keep in mind, this is Jesus talking here. Big man. Keep in mind they hated me first. <laughs> if you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world. But I have chosen you out of the world. That's why the world hates you. Remember what I told you? A servant's not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. They will treat you this way because of my name, for they do not know the one who sent me. <laughs> Get ready for this. Part of being crazy and different is being criticized. Accept it. Deal with it. Ignore it. I tell you this, I've told you this a hundred times. I listen to criticism. When it comes to me, I run it through this filter. First thing is this, does this person know me? If they do not know me, then why do I care that they criticize me? But there's a second thing I run it through. Do they love me? Because you can know me and hate me. So if you hate me, no matter what I do, you're not going to like. So why do I worry about your criticism? So do they know me? Do they love me? Now, third one, this ties it all together. I have to do all three of these. Do they believe in me? That's important. I use this example time. I have a mother who knows me. I have a mother who loves me. She's my mother. I have a mother who does not believe in me and how I go about living my life. She thinks I ought to work a nine-to-five job. She's thought it for 20 years. And she'll tell you, I pray too hard for him to get right because now he wants to be a preacher. She doesn't, so she doesn't believe in me. She loves me. She knows me. But she doesn't believe in me. So guess what happens when mom calls and criticizes? The Bible says you're to honor your father and mother, so I listen to her. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Okay. I love you. Click. Christine's like, what did your mom talk about? I said, I don't know. <laughs> I didn't listen. That's not disrespect to my mom. She knows me. She loves me. She doesn't believe in me. You got to know me. You got to love me. You got to believe in me. If you don't meet that criteria, Grady, you need to take that advice. Everybody, did, Grady did a good job two weeks ago, didn't he? Here's the problem with Grady on Facebook. He gets fired up about all the critics. I'm going to call you out from stage. Get over it. Who cares? When you're following God, criticism is going to come along. <laughs> I actually have gotten to the point that I find great comfort when people are criticizing. What I do, James, when we were doing the needle thing, I kept calling you and saying, ignore it. Who cares? How many times I like, get off Facebook? You ask me, you say, you're just laughing about it. I say, because I don't care. If God called us to do it, we're going to do it. I felt our church being led in a direction about a year and a half ago, and we lost some people over it. This morning, so they all left and went to another church. That's the thing they do. 
This morning, I get a message from another pastor of another church. He's like, hey, don't these people go to your church? They all showed up here today. I said, no, nah, they ain't been here about a year and a half. He goes, oh, well, they're all here now. They're not going to be happy anywhere. Seriously, the deal. I hated to lose them. I loved them. But they're not going to be happy anywhere. The issue wasn't me. The issue was them. This church will do something they don't like in about a year and a half, and they'll move on to the next place. So why would I give credence to their criticism? Because they're going to leave anyway. <laughs> I actually love it when people criticize our vision because I know it's our vision. I love it when people criticize the people we reach because I know it's our vision. I love it when people go about preaching or criticizing how we go about it. Criticize away. I tell you, it's one of the most freeing things when you embrace criticism. I just don't care. Now, there's a lot I don't do right in life, so let me preface that. But learn from me in the very minuscule 1% I do right. Who cares about critics? I'm trying to teach this to my wife. My wife will cut you you start criticizing me. Now, she's going to criticize me all day long. But ain't nobody else going to do it. And I'm like, don't worry about it. Who cares? We're happy. We're doing what we feel called to do. Don't worry about when they call you crazy. Worry when they don't. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You rejoice. I will tell you honestly, I will honestly rejoice when people hurl uneducated insults at me. I love the uneducated insults. Criticism, they know nothing. You know what? Praise God in heaven that I am doing something that draws attention from those who do not know that I am considered even the same category of being persecuted for the one who gave his life for me. I don't care what they do to me because what they do to me, persecution, is nothing compared to what they did to Jesus. Listen to me. Listen to me. Listen to me. God has a call on your life. But Gary, you don't know what I did. You don't know how I don't care. You screwed up. Get up. Life sucks. You hurt some people. You're going to deal with the consequences of it. But get up and live that crazy, crazy life. I pray that you're persecuted. I pray that people around you don't understand. Because that means you're living a crazy life. Because normal isn't working 